0: ...its own mini-history, a story within a story, a narrative inside a narrative, so that the story he told was not, as he once explained it to me, like dominoes, one thing happening just after the other, but instead like a set of Chinese boxes or Russian dolls, so that each event turned out to contain another, which contained another, and so forth. Hence, for example... The story of why his beautiful sister had been forced to marry her ugly, hunchbacked cousin began, necessarily from my grandfather's point of view, with the story of how his father had died suddenly one morning in the spa at Yaremche, since, after all, that was the beginning of the hard time for my grandfather's family— the dire years that ultimately necessitated his mother's tragic decision to marry her eldest daughter off to her brother's hunchbacked son in return for the price of passage to America to start a new but, as it turned out, equally tragic life. But, of course, to tell the story of how his father had suddenly died one morning at Yaremche, my grandfather would have to stop himself to tell another story— a story about how he and his family in the rich days used to vacation at certain beautiful spas at the end of each summer, for instance, at Yaremche, high in the pre-Carpathian foothills, unless, of course, they went not south but west, to spas in Baden or to Zakopane, a name that I loved. But then, to give a better sense of what his life was like then, in the golden years before 1912 when his father died, He would go further back in time to explain just who his father had been in their little town, about the respect he commanded and the influence he wielded, and that story, in turn, would, in the end, take him back to the very beginning, the story of how his family had lived in Bolochov since the Jews first came there, since before there even was a Bolochov. One by one the Chinese boxes opened, and I would sit and gaze into each one, hypnotized, as it happens, this is precisely how the Greeks told their stories. Homer, for instance, will often interrupt the forward motion of the Iliad, his great poem of war, spiraling backward in time and sometimes space in order to give psychological richness and emotional texture to the proceedings, or to suggest, as he sometimes does, that not knowing certain stories, being ignorant of the intricate histories that Unbeknownst to us, frame the present can be a grave mistake. The most famous example of this, perhaps, is an encounter that takes place toward the beginning of the poem between two warriors named Glaucus and Diomedes. As the Greek and Trojan prepare to fight, each launches into a long story intended to highlight his military prowess and his family prestige, and the genealogies they retail are, as it happens, so long and detailed, that it soon emerges that there are important family ties between them, and with cries of joy the two men, who only minutes before would gladly have killed each other, clasp hands and declare eternal friendship. Similarly, to move from poetry to prose, when the historian Herodotus, centuries after Homer, composed his grand history of the Greeks' improbable and total victory over the vast Persian Empire at the beginning of the fifth century before Christ, he, too, resorted to this old and mesmerizing technique. Hence it seems only natural to him that to tell the story of the Greek-Persian conflict, he must narrate the history of Persia itself— which involves digressions, both great and small, from the famous story of a certain Eastern potentate's desire to have another man see his wife naked, the arrogant sin, we are meant to understand, that set in motion a great dynasty's downfall, to an entire chapter dedicated to the history, customs, mores, art, and architecture of Egypt, since, after all, Egypt was a part of the Persian Empire, and so on. But then every culture... Every author tells stories in a different way, and each style of storytelling opens up, for other storytellers, certain possibilities that he may not otherwise have dreamed of. From a certain French novelist, for instance, you might learn that it is, in theory, possible to devote the better part of a substantial novel to a single conversation that took place over one particular meal. From a certain American novelist, born, however, in Poland, that dialogue can be made to appear interestingly, dangerously indistinguishable from the narrator's point of view. From a German writer you admire, you may realize, with some surprise, that under certain circumstances, pictures and photographs, which you may have thought inappropriate to...